welcome to Series 3 of the Bowen Buzz Podcast. My name's Chris Reed, and here we get to talk the buzz on all things Bowen therapy from interesting practitioners, trainers, and we also get to hear from experts sharing their secrets to assist Bowen therapists grow in their businesses and grow in their lives. So welcome to this episode of the Bowen Buzz. Today, it gives me great pleasure to introduce David Warden. Now, David runs a bone therapy clinic up in Townsville in northern Queensland. And um, David has a history in uh, professional sport, and I'm going to get him to tell us a bit about that right at the start. And But also runs, a, as I said, a bone therapy clinic based around injury and working a lot with sports people. And I know a lot of students that I have trained in the past uh, and other therapists sort of wonder, can, can you use bone therapy for, on for sports people? That was what I thought was a really great question, and, and David was probably the, the best person that we could talk to about that. So welcome to the Bone Buzz, David. Thanks, Chris, and thanks. Welcome to the listeners. Chris, just to correct you, I'm a, I was an amateur, not a professional. Well, that's okay. But, yeah. but you, <laughs> but you, <laughs> Well, can you? Well, but how about you give us a bit of a, a bit of your history, if that's okay, in okay. where you've come from? Because I know you did represent Australia in modern pentathlon. Sure, so, sure. So just yeah, just where where did you come from? It's from a from a sporting point of view, if you like, for a start. Okay, I I started as a runner, right? And fifty years ago this year, we formed the Townsville Road Runners Club. So it's fifty years old this year, right? Then from there, I was heading down to Melbourne. It was during the days of Vietnam War and conscription and things like that, so a lot of army people in Townsville, and uh, I was doing quite well against the army runners up here, and they said, if you want to find out how good you are, go to Melbourne. That's where the good runners are. So I was taking off to Melbourne, but just before I left, uh, I saw this article on modern pentathlon, and I come from all the property, so I can ride a horse, I can shoot. So I said, oh, that's interesting. So I called into Sydney on the way through the Melbourne, to see the guy who was the Australian coach at that stage. So he put me through a few drills and said, you've got the ability to represent Australia one day. I said, oh, yeah, fair enough. Don't really believe it. But I've got a commitment in Melbourne, so I've got to go down to there. And he said, well, we've got a training camp, a camp, camp Mackay outside Sydney next weekend if you want to come to it. So I went down to Melbourne, told the guys I wasn't going to stay in Melbourne, drove back to Sydney and... And eventually, I represent Australia. There you go. Uh, just, 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 can you clarify for us what's involved in sure. modern pentathlon? Don't yeah. You? What modern pentathlon is is running, swimming, shooting, fencing, and horse riding. Right. So you run four thousand meters cross country, swim three hundred meters, fence against all the other competitors, rapid fire pistol, and you jump horses over show jumps. The reason it's called modern pentathlon is it goes back. The Olympics now are the modern Olympics. There were the Olympics before that stopped for the war. And then the ancient Olympics, the all-round champion of the Olympics was someone who did the pentathlon was five events, right? Not the events we're doing, but more track and field events. And they got the all-round champion of the Olympics and crowned him. So with the gap with the war, there's no Olympics. And when Baron Pierre de Coubertin founded the modern Olympics in 1932, he said, we must come up with an idea of an all-round champion for the modern Olympics. And that's where the name modern pentathlon come in. And because the war had just finished, 
he got the idea of a military messenger taking off on a horse. The horse goes lame, so he has to run is to deliver a message from point A to point B. So he takes off on the horse. He horse goes lame. He has to run, swim across the river, defends himself with a sword and a pistol, and he delivers the message. So that's how it originated. But when you look at those sports, each of those sports, it doesn't matter how big you are, how small you are, you've got no advantage, right? So it's, weight doesn't come into its size or anything like that. So it's, it's four-round sports. And what they do in those days is one sport per day, so it went over five days, and uh, you just a certain level was worth a 1,000 points. So if you went fast or slower than that, that level, you added or subtracted the points, and after five days, you added all your points together and, and got the champion. That's remarkable because the, the disciplines there are so disparate, aren't they? They're so different. Uh, yes. You know, yeah. the, the skills involved aren't really translatable into one from one into the other, certainly from, you know, swimming and running or horse yeah. riding and shooting. Sure, sure. Yeah, what happens is your good swimmers are not good runners, your good runners are not good swimmers. And because it's a military sport, has the background, right? So every army in the world, except in the Australian Army, does modern pentathlon. So they recruit people into the army and they do they do their basic training and they do nothing but train for modern pentathlon. Okay. So we were always at a disadvantage. So when I represented Australia, I used to stay overseas and go into the army bases with the foreign competitors and train with them. Oh, so I spent time at Fort Sam Houston in, in Texas, 12 months once, 18 months another time, and then Arborfield Garrison and England with the Centre of Excellence over there for 12 months. Wow, that's a, some, some remarkable mem- memories for you as well. Yes, it's good memories. And and how old were you at the time, David? Uh, in, in the 20s, right, and probably... Uh, Heading twenty eight or something, I did it for about eight years, right? Right. So, so you were travelling, travelling a lot of that time then. Yeah. Well, mainly you had your bases, right? But uh, like I competed in Mexico, Canada, America, Russia, Germany, England, and things like that. But uh, as you went along, yes. Great. And I suppose you would have seen your fair share of injuries of athletes, uh, whether be falling off a horse or. Straining yeah. the muscle or <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of injuries. But what was interesting, what I learned, the people that competed best on the day quite often had a niggle two or three weeks out. Right. Which slowed them down, right? Because the mind's so strong, most people overtrain. And time and time again, particularly in America, I see people have blind competitions when they were into the couple of weeks out, two or three weeks out. So if, so if you're a betting man, you better pick some bloke out of it and a niggle a few weeks out and you reckon it might have slowed him down because certainly I suppose we see that a lot, don't we? And well, no, that's not what I was saying, Chris. The niggle slowed him down from overtraining. That's then what I meant, was yes. Fresh, I was, yeah. That's what I was agreeing with because I was going to say we see a lot with athletes these days that one of the biggest problems is this overtraining and therefore um, not being ready for race Yes. Race day, yeah. Definitely, yes. Right. And that, that obviously leads into your experience and, and the advice that you can give the um, the people you see in your clinic. David, I'm interested to know what, what were you doing is from a, to earn a few dollars perhaps, even as a 28-year-old and then going forward. So where, what were you working at? Uh, into that? Were you always into, into some sort of medical or some sort of uh, physical work? 
No, no, not at all. We just, because you train seven days a week, you really didn't have much time, right? In Australia, of course, we had to uh, have jobs and then just train when we could in the outside, but that was one of the reasons for going overseas and staying overseas in the army bases because they supplied all the equipment, the coaches and that for nothing, and they just trained so you trained with them. Accommodation costs nothing. Um, meals on an army base were 60 cents or 80 cents or something for a meal, so it was easier to train overseas. So what they were always after was people to fence against, right? They needed other foreigners to fence against to help their own athletes. And as you can imagine, because what was interesting in the competition. So when the American pentathletes were fencing against the Russian pentathletes, right, it was the American army fighting the Russian army and, and there's no love loss, right? There's only one one better was when the Russians fought the Hungarians because of 56 and the blood bath and the invasion and the blood in the pool in Melbourne. It was, it was oh, like right. a war. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it was fairly willing at times. Yeah, very willing at times. Yes. Right. Yeah, holding them back, perhaps. Yes. So, so you were so you were over there for um, quite a few years, yeah. training in that, and then came back to Australia to um, to settle down, David. Or did, yeah. did you continue? Yeah, I, I did because all I did was part time work wherever I could. I was trained because in those days there's no institute of sport, so you had to work to fund yourself, right? So then I came back to Australia and all of a sudden I had to find work to survive. And uh, I don't like to admit it, but my first job was was Philip Morris Cigarettes as a Marlborough man. Say that again? Philip Morris Cigarettes as the Marlborough man. Oh, okay. In those days they were after sports people, right? So I didn't smoke. Well, I had to practice the smoke for the interview. I handed me a cigarette and I didn't smoke anymore after that. Is that so you were up, you were you were the Marlborough man? Yeah, yeah, up in North Queensland first. Right. And and so TV commercials, that's no, sort of thing. no, I wasn't in the TV, no, it was just up here, but we were selling the Marlborough cigarettes. But a friend of mine, Peter Ridgeway, was the actual Marlborough man. Right. Sitting on, on the side of the mountain. He's from Berwick, yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's uh, I suppose that, like you say, you're not proud of it now, but back then I think probably eighty percent of us were smoking. Yeah, uh, exactly. But they wanted sports people, right? They love sports people and they really didn't care whether you smoke. So from there I went to Johnson and Johnson and then they recruit then Abbott Laboratories Pharmaceutical Company come along and recruited me from Johnson and Johnson. So then I was detailing doctors and specialists and things like that all around North Queensland. Then I went into management of the nutrition division in Sydney. And then I took a retrenchment package out of there and come back up to North Queensland and uh, worked for Amcor Packaging as area manager. And then I was headhunted by the Banana Growers Co-op up in Tully, which I set up the Banana Growers Co-op. So I spent a lot of time in sales and marketing. Right. Okay. And so that's a, that's a really interesting journey that you've had through there. And now obviously somewhere along the line, and you were continuing to run and train uh, during yeah. that time? Yeah, yeah. Well, as there has been, right, in, in that I could never do what I used to do, but I always... I'm a life member of the Townsville Roadrunner, so I turn up every Saturday and then becomes an age thing and you compete age-wise and things like that. 
So I think where you're heading for is how do I get involved with bone therapy? Well, I suppose somewhere along the way, you you would have you would have had your fair share of um, whether it was massage back in the day when you were training and and other sort of and then perhaps uh, physiotherapy came along and was a thing. Um, so yeah. what was your what was your experience with um, say Medico? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, it was the thing that uh, you know two or three times two or three times a year you get a. Uh, a niggle and you go off to the physio and lose a bit of time or, or whatever, right? So what happened, uh, World Masters Games sometime in the 90s were in Brisbane, right? And I went down for that. And the people we were staying with, the guy used to have Bowen therapy, I'd never heard of it. Anyway, uh, he had an appointment on the Friday and the, the, he was going to do the half marathon. I was going to do the half marathon on the Sunday. And why he got called in the work, so he couldn't keep his bone therapy appointment. So he said, Dave, it's already been paid for. Would you like to, to try it? I said, yeah. And I said, well, what is it or something like that? And he said, well, go and, go and experience it. So I, got, <laughs> so I got to the therapist and he said, uh, with runners, they improve in the marathon five to, second, five to seven seconds per kilometre in the marathon after having bone therapy. I thought bullshit. <laughs> so anyway, so I had, had, and I was only going to do the half. So I had the treatment. Then I went out for a jog on the Saturday morning, and I couldn't believe it. I was flying. It was just so easy. I thought, oh, there's something in this. So on the Sunday was the half marathon, and to relate back. Uh, a month before was a half marathon in Townsend. I ran about a one thirty one, and uh, I was fit and training. Right, I wasn't going to go to the world championships, so I didn't do any training. And uh, at the last minute, I got talked into going, so I went down there. So basically, didn't train for a month. The course in uh, Brisbane was hilly over the bridge, Commonwealth Games course, and I basically ran the same time. I couldn't believe it. So ever since then, whenever I wanted to do a time trial, I always try and have a bone therapy treatment before the time trial. Sounds like a bit of a plan. Yeah, so so that's it. But then how did I get involved in becoming a therapist? Was well, that my wife had extremely bad sciatic L4L5 pressing on the sciatic nerve, couldn't get off the floor, couldn't drive a car, couldn't do anything, right? And uh, tried everything, acupuncture, chiropractor, massage, you did uh, traction, cortisone injection in the spine. So that didn't work. So she's heading either for the second cortisone injection or uh, surgery where they chip away a bit of the bone that's pressing on the nerve. Anyway, someone suggested try bone therapy. I was open to it because of my experience. I knew what it was. So she went and uh, very quickly got relief. So the neurosurgeon said, why are you getting relief? Continue with bone therapy. And uh, if you don't, when that wears off or if it wears off, well, then we'll have surgery, come in for surgery. And she's never had surgery. So, you know, she's back work. This is years ago, but back working. Well, we did the anchor trial together, everything. She flies the aeroplane. Got to be cautious. So... While she has been treated, uh, it was at Setters Health Centre, Benjamin, right? And uh, he challenged me, why don't you 
do this and help your wife. So that's the reason why I did it, to help my wife. So the uh, first course available, obviously you had to start with Module 1, so the next Module 1 was in Sydney and it just happened to be with Margaret Spicer. Now I didn't know Margaret's history and how well she is held in esteem and that. And so I went to Sydney and, and did right through Certificate 4 with her, then immediately went on did the diploma with her. Great. And interesting, I said there was a bit of a synergy there with where Margaret's um, history was too with the work she did in pharmaceuticals and marketing as well. So Yes, we, we've talked about that before with Margaret. Yes, I think she was with Park Davis or someone like that and just down the road from Abbott Laboratories. And that's a great story, David, because so many people either get into Bowen and learn, learn it because they've either had a remarkable experience themselves or, like you, one of your family members, and you've had a bit of both, I suppose, if yeah. one of the family members has a remarkable experience. And, and you know, if you can avoid somebody going into spinal surgery, which probably wasn't required, uh, as, as, to, as it turned out, um, and having some Bowen made such a difference to her um, is, um, is a, a great story and gives a lot of people a lot of hope, I think. And, and sometimes I think as Bowen therapists, we often wonder, you know, we often have a little bit of that imposter syndrome or a little bit of that, gee, you know, am I really doing the best thing for this person? We, we all do, Chris, and it comes and goes. It, even some of my mentors who were who teachers and they've been born, they have their doubts at times and, and I'm sure you do as well and it comes and goes. So what I learned from that is never take ownership. So no matter what happens, whether it's good or bad, just don't take ownership. You know, it, it happens and just let it pass. Okay, yeah. Okay, good thought, good thought. Because as I said, we're not like it's not like we, um, uh, we're we guaranteeing somebody something. But as I said, it, gives, it certainly gives people a lot of people a lot of hope that it's worth trying sometimes. If someone yeah. says to me, can Bowen help with so-and-so, I often say, look, it's probably not going to hurt, as in like it, it won't make it worse um, generally. Uh, obviously, with a few things that being mindful of, but it certainly it can, it can probably only help, you know. So that's um, a, a good way to approach it. Sometimes when someone says, you know, can Bowen help with X, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah. Jump on the table. I say jump on the table and we'll find out. And we'll find out. Yeah. Now, you work um, in the clinic up there in Townsville. You work a lot with sports people, David, and yeah. obviously that's your background as well. Uh, you've been involved in sport as, a, as an athlete and also as an administrator, I see, for, for a long time. Yeah. Um, so you have, you have a bit of a reputation in town, obviously being involved in the, in the Townsville Runners um, Club as well. So yeah. you see a lot of athletes. Um, yeah. And do you... Did what that bone therapist in Sydney back in the 90s that told you that you, you would run faster after had, if you had a bone prior to um, to a longer run, has that borne out for you, do you think? With your, yeah, 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 certainly. My, my busiest month each year is August, and that's when the running festival's on. And people say, right, I'm going to Mackay to do a run or something. How many days before should I have bone? And you see people book in according to when their race is, right? And uh, you know this with COVID when there was no racing. Right. The runners didn't come because they weren't doing speed work. Right. Weren't okay. getting eagles, weren't getting injured. And you have a little bit of secret sauce, David, in that you have a bit of a protocol with, uh, say, a pre-race treatment for a distance runner? Uh, no, no, I just balance them, right? 
just just basically balance them. So so nothing nothing special, whatever percents and and I work on and and it just frees frees them up. Yep. Yep. And and also then I suppose you were talking earlier about that potential of for athletes to overtrain. So you have a fair bit of your you have a fair bit of advice for people as as they're going through, do you? Yeah. Okay. So how how I approach it, Chris, is that when they come to me, right, they've got a niggle or something wrong, right? And uh, I look at it and say, yes, okay, I'll treat it, I'll fix it. But it will be much quicker if we look at your technique, I mean technique, otherwise it's going to take longer to do it, right? So what happens, you treat them, they feel better when they walk out, but then it comes back. So... That's how I sell it to them. I say you'll recover much faster. No one teaches us how to walk. No one teaches us how to run. We just get out and do it and we can applaud it, right? And that's where a lot of the injuries come in, particularly in running. So I, I take them through the forces in running, running effortlessly, injury-free, and say, right, if you want to get over your injury quicker, do this, then at the end, if you want to keep going with this technique, fine, if not, go back to your old technique. So basically what I do is uh, talk to them about what causes the injuries in running, right? So there's two forces that cause injuries. That Well, there's two forces, right, you have to overcome to be a runner. One is the force of gravity. So to do that, you just lean at the ankles and fall forward and pick up your heels. The other force is the force of the road coming towards you. So if you put your foot out in front of your hips, that so if, if you're going down the road 10 kilometres an hour, the foot road is coming to you at 10 kilometres an hour. So if you put your foot out in front of your hips, that force goes up to your legs, into your hips, and that's where a lot of the running injuries are. But if you can get your foot down under your hip, the force will take it out the back, right, and make running easier. Then I say... You know, you see the Kenyans on TV, they look like they're kicking themselves in the butt, right? And what they're doing is using that force coming towards them and it's just taking their leg out the back. So so that's the a way I approach it. I treat them, but then I say, right, try this, you'll recover quicker and hopefully they'll keep going with it. That's uh, that's fantastic advice, though. So you're talking about not overstriding effectively, and even yes. people who are, who are walking quickly can overstride and cause themselves the same sort of issues too, can't they? Sure. So being more of a, a midfoot sort of strike rather than sort yeah. of obviously a heel strike is what yeah. you're talking about from what I've been so, Yeah, so it comes back to posture, right? So it's the same posture whether you're walking basically as you're running. Most people, particularly with back pain, they're too far back in their posture. They've got to come forward. And the same in running, and particularly as you get tighter in running, you tend to go backwards further, and that puts pressure on your lower back. And uh, your hips come forward, so then your legs have got to spread and puts pressure on your knees. And the biggest problem with runners is hip flexors and adductors. And all runners have got adductor problems, and that's Problem because they're too far back when they're running. You right. see that the champion runners, the good runners, they've got that lean. The others don't. Right. So do you actually coach running, David? No, I don't, uh, but I'll help it. Because my love is running, I help anyone for free with running. Mm. 
That's uh, great advice. So that, helping, so that advice that you give to a an athlete that comes in to see you about about looking at technique and being not overstriding and and mm. putting your feet under your hips as you run is that yeah. often enough for them to change that technique if they if they want to pick that up? Yes, yes, it, it is. Well, what it does it stimulates their brain, right? They know there's there's another way of doing things. Some run with it, some don't. It's not for the champion runners, but most of us don't see the elite runners. I see Mm. a few, right? So Mm. I don't mention that to them because they're different. But for the average Joe Blow, the weekend warrior, we want to run injury-free for the rest of our lives so so they pick up on it. And then hopefully they'll, they'll have questions and they'll come back to me. Yeah, terrific. And that that business about short um, short soas um, and um, uh, yeah, rec fam and and the doctors. You'd hate to have me in your clinic, David. I'm afraid I'm very short and soas, and uh, yeah. but uh, you know, obviously, I just need to get to do a bit more around it. But um, that's um, that's terrific. So you know, as you say, you often see a lot of runners in that that pre race because the people know that before I have a race, if I have a Bowen. Um, off David, I'm actually going to run more effortlessly and perhaps run a faster time yeah. uh, for the same amount. And, and it happens time and time again. Okay, I've, I've got elite runners too, but I mainly use them uh, for publicity. I sponsor them, right? So I treat them for nothing, but in return they've got to have a Facebook profile and uh, and a, a fair following and uh, every now and again just recognise what I do. That'd be a terrific uh, research study, wouldn't it, David? To perhaps you know have have a, a group of runners do have you have a control arm where they just do what they normally do. You could have a, uh, an arm that that gets a bow and just prior to training, or just try to yeah. try to the time trial, and really just clock and see. You know, as I said, you've had to set up. Probably it would be, it would certainly be an interesting uh, research study to do to see if what measure what that difference was. We both know the answer. <laughs> yes, we do. But it's great when you've got it on paper yeah. and, it's, and it's data and it's done by and actually the measurements are done by someone who's not involved in the, you know, say you've got a, a bit of a blind. It would be a terrific study to do in sport because I don't know that it's actually perhaps a minister to go back and have a look and see what has been done around that. Yeah. Uh, might have been done in different other different modalities, but we, it certainly hasn't been done as far as I know with Bowen. So that's, um, sure. that's really, really interesting. Yeah. Now, you obviously see other... Uh, people in the clinic as well, David, not just sports people? Yeah, yeah. well, it's interesting. In the beginning, obviously, it was sports people and runners in particular, but triathletes and that. But uh, my most of my business is back pain. And, okay, runners get back pain, and that's no different. But the, the, the general population, and that's what they're seeing. And uh, so what happened was... Everyone seems to treat back pain, physios, chiropractors, whatever. We all treat back pain. So I looked at it and said, because I started Bowen when I was 64, and I'm now 70, I've got to speed things up, right? So I want to get results quicker. How do you mean? Hang on. What, how do you mean speed things up? Well, like, do you develop a business? Or yeah, you yeah, yeah, business and things like that, right? Yeah. So that was my thing right from the beginning to speed yep. things up, right? Yep. So the business side is not a problem because I've been in business all my life, so I've got to get results in that. So uh, I looked at it and said, well, how can I be different than the physios, the chiropractors and things like that? Because we all know that everyone goes to a physio first before they come to us. 
that, that that's just the way it is. So then I looked at it and said, well, what's the biggest problem that people have when they come to physical therapists, right? And one of the things that I found is that no matter who it is, whether it's Bowen, physio, chiropractor, whatever, quite often it doesn't last the treatment, right? They feel good and they work out, but then it comes back. So I said, well, why does it come back? And I believe it's the posture that keeps throwing it out. Unless you correct the posture, you, uh, you're going to be slow to recover. The results are going to be slow. So uh, I've gone down the track of doing posture with the clients, mainly back pain, and uh, it seems to be working. And we've kind of covered a little bit in the running. It's, it's coming forward. Everyone's too far back and, and uh, get, them to, get them to feel what correct posture is. Most of us are too far back, so the hip flexor psoas muscle is holding us up, so it's constantly stressed, constantly engaged. We come forward a little bit, uh, it releases, and the skeleton's holding us up. So I'll get them to feel the different position. Get so there's a number of things that we do during the day that keeps upsetting the treatments we have, right? So sleeping, we're in bed six, seven, eight hours, right? So if you're in the wrong position for back pain, you're going to have trouble when you first wake up. So there is a way, a, a better position for sleeping with back pain. So it's on your side. There's a cushion between your knees and don't let that leg come over, just puts pressure on the lower back, puts pressure on the shoulder. So things like that, right? So there's a better way for sitting when you've got back pain. So I teach them to have the knees slightly lower than the hips, which brings you forward in the chair and puts that lumbar curve back in your spine. So when you're back, your psoas is holding you up. When you come forward, your skeleton's holding you up. So I take them through these things and then I get them out there walking off, get them to feel the pressure on their heels, then come forward and the, then feel the pressure on their forefoot. Then that, as they come forward, it goes from the outside toe to a flat foot, so pronation and things like overcome. So, so I do things like that to tie in with back pain. And as soon as you mention posture, everyone sits up straight, everyone's aware. So that's how I try and differentiate myself from the chiropractors and physios and everything is, is posture and pain. So getting them to do small things to change the way yeah, that they yeah. that, that, that yeah. may cause that re-injury or prolong yeah, that injury. Yeah, yeah. Right. that slows down healing really. So, so un unless you change your posture, you're more than likely to throw it out. Yeah, I, I think into that, and correct me if, if you you disagree, but I, yeah. I, one of the things I say to clients that is your your best posture is your next posture in that. You've got to change the way you are, as in, like, as in every regularly. There's no point being the same or holding a rigid posture for any period of time. Yeah, but yeah. you're, you're, you know, some. If you want to slump, okay, great, but don't slump for more than fifteen seconds or something. Yeah. You know what I mean, so yeah. if then you sit up and you change, you you might see right now I'm actually sitting on a, I'm sitting on a on a pit ball, ball yes. um, in the clinic, which which. Makes me quite dynamic. Now, you, sure. can sit, you can slump on a fit ball if you want to, yeah. but what you what it's going to do, you know, quite quickly is change because 
you know, as you say, I, when, when you were talking about that before, I'm looking, yes, my knees are slightly lower than my hips yes. and I'm, I'm sitting up a bit straighter because I'm sitting, I don't have anything to back, rest yeah. back on. Yeah, so um, your skeleton's holding you up instead of your hip flexors. To some degree, to some, that's right, to some degree. Yeah. So that the soft tissue is probably not being overworked in incorrect yeah. ways, effectively, isn't it? Yeah. That's correct, yeah. That's great. So that's a lot of the work that so, education Yeah, so, so just let me... <laughs> Go a little bit further on that is is that what the problem is we've all been told to stand up straight and pull our shoulders back right and that's the biggest cause why back pain doesn't heal quick quick enough so once once you get them to sense that feel that they get it it's easier to walk everything's easier and you see the you see the old people getting around they've got spinal stenosis they've, they've bent over they don't know why but it opens up the spine, opens up the vertebrae, takes pressure off the nerve, and it feels good. So they're, they're hunched over. Well, people, that's what they're doing. So, so the story of stand up straight and pull your shoulders back is putting us into too much extension. Yeah, exactly, yeah, and that's the biggest reason why back pain is slow to heal. Or right. you, you, you get it all the time, you're coming, how long you had back pain? Oh, for years, on and off for years, on, and that's the reason. Right. Okay, and I suppose, as you say, when people either are out doing their recreational walk, whether it might be, you know, for an hour or half an hour, or whether they yeah. may be doing themselves some disservice perhaps if they're, if they're holding themselves incorrectly while they're doing that. Sure, as they get tired or as a runner, you know, as you get tired, you go backwards. You've got to keep coming forward. They do. I have read over the years, if, say, if, you, if, you, if you lean slightly, as you say, when you lean forward, it's like controlled falling, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. You lean forward a bit and you allow your, your legs to almost catch up with the body. Yeah. It's, it's, it's less effort. Yeah, it exactly. It's effortless running. Mm. So mm. it's like a tree for you. Don't bend at the waist. That puts pressure on your knees and you get knee problems. You've got to bend from the ankles like a tree falling and falls straight. And then, so that's overcoming gravity. So all you do is pick up your heels. <laughs> pick up your heels. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a good, uh, that's a good thought picture. Yeah. It's really, yeah. Now, now you just said then about knees. You know, I, I have a lot of, because a, a lot of my clients know that I run only because I, I annoy them most Sundays by putting my long run post up just to sort of, and the reason I do that is really to save if I can, uh, you know, annoy somebody enough that they think, oh, well, Chris is out moving again, maybe I should go for a walk or something like that. That's the, obviously the, the main reason that I do it. But they often say, gee, you know, your knees will be shot if you if you continue to run. But uh, it's actually the opposite, I believe, in that the running, good running does not ruin knees. Would you agree with that? It comes back to what we're saying, technique, right? No one teaches us how to run. It's poor technique. The knees is not the problem. The way we run, the technique is the problem. And as you know, uh, yeah, 90% of the knees, it's not the knees, the adductors and the ITB. The attachments is the problem, and particularly with tissue. runners. Yeah. 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 Uh, very good. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to um, now. You've just talked me into getting a bow on this afternoon. I'm going to see if I can sneak one in because I've got a race on Sunday. Yes, and, um, definitely. About three days out. Yeah, yeah, be three or four days out. I've got Matt here this afternoon in the clinic, and I think he might have a free appointment, so maybe I shouldn't go home. Maybe I should get a bone first. That'd be that's what a good idea. Definitely, Chris. Definitely, <laughs> and good luck on Sunday too. Uh, no worries at all. So, David, now you, you mentioned that you you felt that you had to sort of um, build a, a business quickly. 
Um, yeah, that was one of you. So you put some pressure on yourself there. Now, many of our people who learn Bowen or certainly people, um, and we see this at the, the business of Bowen, which is one of the main reasons why we, we put the group together, was to, to give people some more skills around um, growing their businesses and having a sustainable Bowen business so that, you know, they could see more people and be around for longer and not and you know not have to go back to a second job and things mm-hmm. like that. So have you got any tips or anything you're around the thought processes you did when you thought, okay, I've got to make this business work right from the go. Was there any sort of um, any, any sort of tips or secrets you got yeah. in there? Well what happened is I went through and did certificate for then the diploma. Then at the end I said how to get the business going, even though we did it in our diploma and that, but, you know, how do we get going quick? How do we get going quick? So what I did is uh, I started looking at bone therapy worldwide, right, and there was certain teachers on there that people seemed to follow a little bit of whatever, and I thought, well, I'm going to approach one of these and ask them for advice because I didn't know anyone, right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I just happened to pick one out and someone you know, John Garfield, right? Yep. So I Facebooked him and told him what my situation was and why I needed to get going quick and things. So what's his recommendations? And uh, he very kindly said uh, probably the easiest way is to do Graham Pennington's work. Yep. Uh, so that's what I did. So I've been to his clinic a few times and that. It just suited my lifestyle because I'm not a detailed person. I know we should be big on anatomy. I'm not that detailed, but it, it just suited the way I did. So then uh, I took some tips from you that you probably don't realise, like gift vouchers and things like that, right? So uh, Mother's Day fun run. What I, what I found out is you can offer gift vouchers, give them out as prizes and that. And very rarely people, well, they use them, but not as many as you think. So it's not costing you much, right? But you're getting free advertising. And those that you get in, well, then you can market to them, right? They're new customers, then you can market to them. So what I did was like 12 months, I think I've got the idea of year 12 months, Bowen Therapy is a major prize, Mother's Day fun run, right? And then the next year that went kind of okay, but you said make it 12 individual ones where they can hand it out to other people, the people that win it, right? And and so that got more people in. So what I've done is I found out a lot of it was referral, right, that people were referring to me. So how can I speed that up? So I looked at them and said, well, okay, you often people come in the clinic and say, I'm very happy with whatever, and I told this, and I'm telling people to come, but no one comes, right? So what I did was uh, if someone refers a new customer to me, they get a free treatment, Wow, the person that refers me, right? So I've just got to then back my judgment, back my ability that I've got to get more than that out of the new customer. So I've got to get them back for at least two. So it puts some pressure on me, right, two treatments to, to, to get going. But then you've got them in the mar- new people in the marketing campaign. So then that's fine, but these people can go out, but what's in it for that new person that comes to you? They've got to get something. So what I've done is 
on my business card, I've got a $25 reward. So if somebody gives it to someone that hasn't been there, comes to me, they get $25 off their first treatment as a thank you from the person that referred them. Right. So so that's worked a little bit, right? Yeah. And, of course, I uh, sponsor the Beginners Clinic, once again, with gift vouchers, so you get more people coming in. Uh, all new members in the club last year, I sponsored them, so you get them into the clinic, then it's up to me to try and get value out of it. So the, the other, other thing is I learned from business of Bowen is to, to know what your break-even point is. So that takes pressure off if you know, right, so many treatments a week cover your costs, then you're not wondering, right? So yeah. if you have a slow week, you're right, whatever. So a few things like that. Yeah, good. Yeah, so some 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 good tips there. Yeah, certain the vouchers can work well, and like you said, then it's up to you to to make it work once that once that happens. Exactly. It's not like you're just giving away free treatments all the time. No. It's it, but if if you give away a free treatment and it generates five new ones, and yeah. then you've got that exponential growth, and as you say, it's up to you to do a good job and yeah. to um and to help people. Yeah. And we know that Bowen does help people, so yeah. um, it should yeah. Yeah. In theory, it should yeah. really work, shouldn't it? Because you, you keep wanting new customers all the time because Bowen is so good, you you fix them and they don't come back for a while. You, you know, do, Chris. So you've got to keep the new ones coming That's in. Exactly right. I often say to people, it's a funny business model because we don't want repeat customers. We actually want them to tell other people. So that's yeah. What, <laughs> yeah. so but that's you, you've got to give them incentive to tell other people. Exactly right. Yeah. No, very good. That's um, that's good good advice, David. And I'm sure a few people might have written a few notes there to sort of, um, if they're looking at perhaps, uh, you know, generating a bit more uh, some new clients to come in. And often it's good to sort of track, I think, uh, something we do here at the clinic is track how many new clients we see every month. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we can sort of see, okay, if we if we haven't seen that our what our KPI is um, each month of new clients, and we say, okay, so what do we need to do? What do we need to tweak? You know, have we gone quiet on our Facebook stuff? Have we need to, you know, what do we need to do to build that up? So it's good to sort of track those sort of numbers too, I think, yeah. so you can generate how well you're going. Uh, that's terrific. Um yeah, what else? What's what's next for David? What, what what's the uh, what's on the horizon, David? Okay, what's on the horizon is uh, I turned seventy this year, and it's our fiftieth marathon, right? And I was around for the first one, so I'm thinking of uh, sneaking in the a marathon this year. You gonna run the marathon? When when is it, David? Uh, it'll be first week in August, 7th of August. Well, there you go. So you must be into some serious training at this point then? Uh, in a way, it's, it's not a speed thing. It's just just to do it. You know, after I've led a life of fitness, so it's just one thing I want to do. I won't go out fast or anything, but yeah, doing a little bit of training. But uh, That's a great uh, – that's, that's a good uh, – a great goal at the age of seventy to do a yeah. well do a, a marathon. Yeah, it it is, and yeah, you've got to be cautious with injuries and things like that because as soon as you do speed work at our age, you're you're looking at trouble. Which I did a couple of weeks ago, so I've just had two weeks off with perineal tendonitis, right, and maximus, and uh, all heel pain and that, and uh, but uh, getting back into it. Yeah, great. And do you have someone that you can go to for a bow and over? Yeah, yeah. There, there's other other therapists around, and uh, we do swaps and things like that. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll go to a physio or something like that. But it's interesting 
I did all that physios, massage, bone and all that and got the best relief and quickest relief by running in, in the water. Is that right? Yeah, because it, deep, it, it kind of got running. the circulation going around the ankle and cleared all the swelling up very quickly. Ah, and, good uh, yeah. Fantastic. Very good. Well, I wish you a, a lot of luck for the uh, for the the fiftieth marathon, fiftieth year of the marathon, and and uh, and you in your in your seventieth year doing that. It's terrific. So that's uh, something to uh, to emulate. Gee, yeah, no, I've, now I've, I always thought I might have one room. Maybe I wait till I'm seventy to do my my, my next marathon. <laughs> yeah, it'll be slow like mine, but uh, yeah, enjoy oh, it. What happened last year? We had the fiftieth running of the King of the Cast and I was in the first one. So I just went in it and just enjoyed the atmosphere and the memories over 50 years come floating back as you're running. It's fantastic. And I yeah. want to do the same because I'll be out there for a long time, so I'll have a lot of memories. You will have a lot of memories. That's <laughs> right. Good on you. Uh, that's very, very good. That's terrific, Dave. Look, I really appreciate you joining us today on the Bowen Buzz and um, yeah. and give us your, so your insights around treating sports people and treating runners. Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously, like I say, the majority of your work is, is back pain. Yes. Uh, and some great tips around what we, maybe it's the take-home advice that we can give to our clients around that. So I uh, really appreciate that. So yeah. if Anyone's welcome to approach me if they've got any questions. That's great. So I'll, I'll help. Any, quite often I get people that are going to their first running first and I want to know what to do and things are happy to help them. All right, that's great. So if I, we, I'll put your contact details in the sure. show notes of the podcast, if that's all yeah. right. And so yeah, no, that's fine. Be only too happy to help. That's terrific. Well, good on you, Dave. I really appreciate your time today and, and passing on a bit of your, as I said, a bit of your secret sauce around that. Yeah. And um, I look forward to hearing how you get on in August. Okay, regards to your team too down there. Good on you. Thanks, David. Hey, Chris. Thanks. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Bowen Buzz podcast brought to you by Geelong Bowen and Remedial Therapies and Bowen Buzz Training. If you'd like to help keep the lights on and assist the ongoing production of the Bowen Buzz podcast, you can hit the donate button and we thank you for any assistance given. I'd also like to thank Louis Reed for our original music. I'm your host, Chris Reed, wishing you all the best till next time. Enjoy the buzz.